call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode four of Call It Friendo with myself, Andy J. Ritchie, and my co-host, Annika Tiernan. In this episode, we discuss 2018 climbing documentary, Free Solo, and 1997 Werner Herzog documentary, Little Dita Needs to Fly. This podcast contains spoilers for both films right from the start. So this is a podcast where myself and Andy try and catch up on our massive backlog of films. Two at a time. Two at a time, that's right. Decided by a coin toss the week before. One person wins with their film suggestion. The other person gets to present a a response accompanying film with that. The whole purpose of it, I suppose, is that eventually we'll get to the end of our backlog list and then we will have become master directors ourselves and then proceed to change the face of modern cinema i like how you have some major master plan whereas i'm just trying to fill the hours before my inevitable demise and the heat death of the universe oh really because i just get super excited every week about like you know the different things we're going to watching i wasn't as excited this week because we were going to watch free solo which i'd seen before but i didn't know you'd already seen free solo but i i did get an awful lot more out of it this time than i I did the first time around Hmm. so i'm going to march on in the intro to that one there because yeah this was you won the coin toss last week and who 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 fucking cares what my film was because it fucking lost so forget all about that shit although you can just you can look up last week's episode on spotify or whatever it's there i'm sure anyway free solo is a 2018 documentary film it actually won the academy award for best documentary feature and made a shit ton of money as well it's about it's a it's documentary. about the occupy jabba the hut's palace movement <laughs> that took me a second yeah. uh, <laughs> that one was written <laughs> you wrote that nice <laughs> yeah okay so so free solo chronicles alex honnell's quest to climb up the yosemite national park yeah, wait 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 why don't face. you just why don't you just read the wikipedia plot synopsis oh wait there isn't one Man climbs rock face. Because I'm, try- I'm, ch- I'm trying to be professional, Andy. No, uh, but no, literally, no. it just says summary. There, there isn't a plot synopsis. There's oh, nothing. Right. Oh. Obviously, I mean, it is a documentary, but it doesn't even say, it doesn't even explain what happens in the documentary. All right. Well, I will, I will give nice. you a, my own basic intro on this. So I came into the world <laughs> Full of documentaries. I, I came. I came into the world of documentaries like this a couple of years ago from one of my students when I discovered that not only like it's actually once you get into rock climbing, actually climbing El Capitan, it's basically not such a big deal. Like loads of people actually do it. And I was honestly, this lady, once this lady who was my student told me this, everybody I met after that seemingly in any way into rock climbing had in fact done it. Because as it turns out, once you learn a little bit about rock climbing, it is a super safe sport. They cannot emphasize it enough. And then she uh, she told me that there was these strange little divisions down the world of rock climbing and some segments of it that safer rock climbers such as herself found particularly perverse. One of those, in fact, being what takes the title of this documentary, Free Soloing. Now, the first documentary I saw about this world was a, a really good one that is available on Netflix. It's called Valley Uprising. I haven't heard which, of this. Which I really recommend. It's kind of about the, the, the how the countercultural movement got their foothold, no pun intended, in the rock climbing world 
and basically started taking over Yosemite National Park mm. in a kind of a manner of... Oh, wait, so ever Alex seen... Honnold is in that film, Valley Upright. He is, yeah. He is, yeah. Have you ever seen the John Millius film, Big Wednesday? No, is that the surfing one? That's the surfing one, I yeah, but just these that. these dirtbag surfers. Well, these were just dirtbag rock climbers. Mm-hmm. And the movement deviated in different ways. Certain people, you know, getting sponsorships, getting big. Some people just being, you know, um, in it for the rock climbing glory man. And then one school that thought, which took the hippie stuff to the very edge of it, was the free soloing crowd. And a lot of people just did want to distance themselves from those because I don't think you really need much of an excuse. They're fucking lunatics. It's an insane thing to be doing. Now, the idea... I I just want to say the first note that I made when watching this film, the first thing that I wrote down is, is Alex Honnold suicidal? I wrote as a question to myself. See, I don't think so. Um, well, I think it's answered, but I just mean within the first few minutes of watching the film, that was the first thing that came to mind was like, is this guy suicidal? But well, I think he like, answers it. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I like, I think, so first, the first thing I want to say is like, we have been going through films chronologically, and I think we can do that to an extent here. Mm-hmm. But also this film, like, it, it runs by a very basic chronolo- chronology, and I, I suppose half of the appeal would be just the stunning footage that they managed to capture of all the attempts, and half yeah. of it is just getting to know uh, Alex Honnold a little bit. So, uh, yeah, basically we open up with a bunch of just stellar rock climbing footage. Now, these are by the same guys, uh, Elizabeth Chai Vassarheli and Jimmy Chin, both of whom feature in the film, and both of whom pre-directed... <laughs> Well, I just I was going to say it's funny when Jimmy Chin turns up turns up in the film like he has his title under him in both of the times he turns up. You know what I mean if you're making a film like this the first time you introduce someone new into the story obviously you explain who they are but he does mm. it twice for himself so the second time he comes up under his name film director it's just so funny because it kind of looks like hey it's me it's Jimmy Chin it's your director you think- guys it's Jimmy Chin he did a directing full power on himself. I think himself. he should have just been what I think he, you know, we we should know who he is. is do you think uh, it's a fox paz? Do you think the camera crews on films like this deserve a, a whole bunch of credit as well? I think Jimmy Chin is at least a third of the camera crew. Well, yeah, and then there's that wuss who's on the ground crying when he's trying to finish it <laughs> off at the end. He, Good he's, God. he's exactly who I was. <laughs> oh, I was watching God. it going, oh, yes, yeah, spoilers for this, but Alex Honnold is still alive. <laughs> spoilers for free solo but alex honnold didn't die but that i think again not to skip we'll come to this but mm. i found it terrifying even though i know that he was successful like i knew right from the start obviously that he did it he cl- successfully climbed but i was freaked yeah. out the entire time well yeah it it put me to my because i've seen a fair few of these now i've seen as i said valley uprising the dawn wall and also maru and also then if well, you ever have you ju- watched have you watched that other really good rock climbing documentary vertical limit from 2000 no 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 have you seen the other excellent rock <laughs> climbing it cliffhanger? Uh, it's it cliffhanger. cliffhanger yeah it's called cliffhanger yeah i did watch that one that was uh, have you seen excellent. have you seen touching the void do you know what that's actually on my backlog list i don't know why i haven't watched that one because i that's oh that's, one that I've that's wanted the, to watch i know that's, that's the best about one like chopping the rope about cutting the cord yeah it's the best controversial one controversial decision making i hope we, we there's a lot of funny things to talk about that and i hope we might get along around yeah. to it someday because it's a good one but 
for the second anyway free solo yeah if you ever want if you want to just a sneak peek into the kind of buzz that free solo can give you just type into google something like crazy russian climber people and you'll just see a number like a number of gopro videos of people hanging off skyscrapers and stuff like that and if you're like me which i suppose most people are you'll just close to shit your pants and won't be able to look for longer than 60 seconds I did um, have a little Google, I did have a little YouTube to look for some of the base jumping death videos. Just in the middle of the film where they introduced the part where a lot of people had died. I thought, why not just have a sneak peek and see a bunch what I'm of, missing out on. A bunch of the free solo guys in the 1960s, and this is uh, 60s and 70s, and this is detailed in the Valley Uprising documentary, mm. just basically disappeared. Would just be free soloing up high and then they were never seen again. So they just fell so hard mm-hmm. and so fast that they presumably vaporized or something. Or what about if they just kept climbing and they never stopped and now they're in the in heaven. atmosphere? Yeah, in heaven, exactly. The chronology of this, basically. We just get introduced to Alex Honnold, who at the time is planning on doing a free solo up El Capitan. Have you ever been to Yosemite National Park and seen no, El Capitan? No, but I want to go. It looks beautiful. As of one of the first things, I, well, that's my second note is Yosemite is outrageously beautiful. Because yeah, he's, yeah. He's explaining. Stunning. He's saying, like, it's the most beautiful valley in the world. And I was a bit suspicious. But then uh, when it's revealed, you realize, like, oh, wow, it is amazing. Oh, it's absolutely stunning. And I, when I was there, I was just there as a, as a complete ignoramus. This, True story. And How totally... old were you? Twenty one or something? Uh, yeah. So ign- <laughs> I could just yeah, imagine yeah, just... with a beer in hand going, "What's this shite?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> but uh, no, no, no. Like we had no idea of any of the you know heritage of the place and that, like how big it was in the rock climbing world. And me and a friend, we were just standing and looking at El Capitan, uh, <laughs> prob- probably beer in hand. Uh, and uh, I had a pair of binoculars, and my mate goes, "Man, it looks like there's a fucking tent on the side of the thing." And I went, what? No way. And then I looked and I said, oh, yeah, the fucking tent. Unreal. And little did we know that there's probably at any given time about five or six tents on the side of El Capitan. Because it's, have you seen those clips of those photos of people queuing up to the summit of Everest? Ugh, yeah. Like El Capitan can be, on certain faces, can be a bit like that for rock climbers. Well, I mean, it is even like, when Alex is doing his final like run, the most he has renowned to get rock face in the world. But, people but, sleeping in a tent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's just so famous, and there are certain types of rock climbing that you can do that are ba- like just if you just know your basic stuff, they're very, very safe to be doing. Anyway, mm-hmm. so Alex Honnold seems to be a relatively rich homeless man who goes around the place climbing stuff and is seemingly impossible to get along with. He lives in a van and eats. <laughs> Just garbage, just absolute disgust. I thought That's that looked what, quite good. <laughs> I liked his meal. His what, little egg and chili beans and yeah. shit? Yeah, he's um, like, I'm vegetarian, here's my egg bean chili with vegetables in it. And then I like how he eats everything directly out of a pan and he drinks out of pans as yeah, well. he, Yeah, yeah, he, he drinks coffee drinks out of a pan. completely out of pans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he but, is fully yeah. homeless, which is impressive. He is, yeah, he's been living in his van for a long time. And <laughs> he's got this beautiful lady who's trying to tie him down. Who at this... Are you Wait. laughing about what happens? Yeah, she injures him. <laughs> and he goes, I want to break... He, he says, my first reaction was to break up with her. 
<laughs> she, they, they're they're in a climbing accident, and she makes like a small. Which mistake. is her fault. It's her fault, but then so what? He he breaks some bone in his ankle or something eh. or something like that. He and then he's lying there, going like, "Yeah." So immediately, I wanted to break up with her. Obviously, <laughs> their relationship has a funny old like. It's a it's a to be honest. Climbing Nuts might find it annoying. I found it a, a delightful little centerpiece to the whole documentary because you can just see when they're climbing together, when they're like in a boat together, she's just wrecking his head, man. <laughs> she's he's he's just like, oh, my God, can I just fucking go climb? And but he's he's like uh, like one of the notes I wrote was <laughs> I, this is while I was watching the film uh, quite early on. I wrote he's on the spectrum, right? <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, for massive, sure. Yeah. Massive control, massive control freak. Hates authority. Never hugged. And then about five minutes later in the film, he, him or his mum says, "Alex's father had Aspergers." And I was yeah, like, yeah, this yeah, is yeah, the yeah. least shocking revelation I've ever seen in a film. And then his father died. His mother yeah. only spoke French to them ever. <laughs> That's how to really piss off someone with Aspergers. Speak oh, to God. them in French. Just only French, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, things we learn about Alex along the way. He seems to be tough to get along with. Even his mate Tommy Caldwell, who's the guy they made the Dawn Wall about that documentary, who's got got some savage. So like, even he seems to look at Alex Honnold like, oh, dude, you've you've got you got issues. <laughs> I, I like I like. There's Something a quote that... from There's a quote from Tommy in the film where he says, "People who don't know about climbing are like, he's got it." And people who do know about climbing are freaked out, man. I just like the idea that, like, as someone who doesn't know anything about climbing, I'm like, yeah, this seems normal that this guy's trying to scale this 3,200-foot wall face without any gear. That's perfectly Uh, normal. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like He's got it. It's explored a little bit in that other documentary I mentioned, Valley Uprising, but, like, actual rock climbers have have spoken to me about this documentary. And, like, they... there's a whole school of rock climbers that don't do not like Free Solo being the biggest rock climbing movie ever because it's just not representative. Yeah, yeah, because right. it's it, insanity. Yeah, which they would like to promote rock climbing as not being right. Necessarily. This is like the free soloing is like the base jumping of parachute sports. Yeah, something like that. I mean, it's like, I, I, it's uh, I don't know English football fans. Who don't don't like don't like you know uh, kicking the shit out of French pub owners, you know feeling represented by hooliganism or something equivalent. Even though you know all English people are scum. <laughs> I, that's my only takeaway from that sentence. It's just the last part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's totally it. So yeah, Tommy Caldwell looks like he's just been trouncing around the world with Alex Honnold for a while, just rolling up his eyes at what a what what a batty. How do these people do that? Because I, I, I got the same thing. So I watched earlier in lockdown or during lockdown, let's say, I watched Meru, Meru, uh, Jimmy Chin and his wife, which is how I'm going to pronounce her name, his wife. Uh, I saw their, their first film, Meru, which I'm going to say is Jimmy Chin's film because he was there. He was like on Meru. He cli- so they climbed, mm. they ascended the Meru peak in the Himalayas. Yeah, yeah, and that again, that's shot over an even longer period of time because the first attempt was in two thousand and eight, and then the second attempt was in twenty eleven. 
So again, that's an even longer project that was filmed over, well, minimum three years, I guess more than three years. But I was just thinking like these people essentially, they just fanny around the world climbing mountains and they don't mm. seem to have jobs. Is it just sponsorship deals? How is that Yeah, a job? yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that that's like being the, a, that's a sports person? Pretty much, yeah. So you get like sponsorship or... I noticed that Alex Honnold has written books. I mean, I noticed that because I saw it in the film, not because I've read any of the books. Yeah, but like you, you get like sponsored climbs. You get um, like if there's particularly famous places to climb in the world, somebody might come along with the idea of doing a, a new route or and they'll, then, of course, they'll have all their gear paid for them and get given to them. Or like, for example, I don't know, did you ever know anybody interested in skateboarding for example back in the day I oh remember, yeah yeah that, like, that seems more normal to me for some reason there, there was an entire subculture of like skate videos and shit like that the same is uh, very much true of rock climbing like people are the whole time making videos you can you know subscribe to them oh, go yeah. see people talk you through their climbs and so forth like i once went to see a talk a guy who had climbed up mount everest which at the time seemed like a big deal apparently it's not anymore <laughs> But I, I saw yeah, anyone could do that. <laughs> you just randomly go and do it if you want, if you've got the money. It looks that way by those photos, but fucking, I don't, like, like I don't think many people could do this free soloing shit. That's one of the things that you kind of get that he's in fact not suicidal when he's he I, when he's saying that certain aspects of it are just too scary and he wouldn't do it. I I think he really means it. Which actually, then this is what I got more. The thing that I got more out of it this time around watching is that so the way the only way that you're able to sort of free solo i think is to have done the route in such a way so many times that you're basically just doing a choreographed dance all the way to the top like the the the, mo the moment of highest tension in the entire piece is that part where he's doing a karate kick move you know what i'm talking about yeah so when he's talking about how he's going to do the final climb the final ascent he talks about halfway up the cliff face there's this section where he's got two options he can go up teflon corner or uh he has to face the boulder the problem the boulder problem and he shows you he shows him doing the teflon corner the first time and he he has to jump completely mm. from one section to the other and he attempts it while he's uh hooked up to a rope and he completely <laughs> misses it he's just like a tall air shot and goes flying and he's like yeah i don't know if i really want to do that without a rope well and yeah then, actually, yeah and then the other one like you said the boulder problem he has to do that his weird kind of kick out and then he says he has to fall into the other side like that reminded me of there's a, there's a whole section of the dawn wall which is the climb him and tommy caldwell do together where they're trying to do a similar sort of it's which it wasn't a free solo but it was a completely new route to climbing el capitan and uh, there was this jump that they were trying to get done and yeah alex honnold just kept fucking it up it took him it took a big chunk of the movie so yeah apparently jumping not alex honnold's strong point climbing Alex Honnold yeah. and Tommy Caldwell hold the speed record climbing the nose of El Capitan, which is one hour, 58 minutes and seven seconds. Lunacy. Uh, which part of uh, his climb do you Very find lunacy. the most uncomfortable to watch? I don't like it. I don't like it when he there he's all wedged inside the mountain. Yeah, that, that that's he says that's the hardest part physically. 
is when he's it's, that's about three quarters of the way up or so it seems and he's basically got his arms wedged up inside the wall and he has to move up he has to sort of force his way up that looks rather uncomfortable i i mean i noticed when he was doing the boulder problem when he was actually doing it uh not not even when he was doing it when he was talking through it earlier that's when I realized that I was sweating through my palms at that point. The, uh, for me, this time around watching it, particularly when it got to the boulder problem and the Kung Fu kick and stuff like that, yeah, I was as well. But I was also thinking that the camera guy that couldn't look was a total pussbag. <laughs> I was that guy. I, but imagine, I, I don't know, I, I think I was able to get into his mindset of being there at the time going, why am I doing this? Why am I potentially watching my friend die? For no real reason. Yeah, fair enough. Like, there's no reason for him to be doing that. I think the reason for him to be doing this climb is that he had a pretty messed up childhood. And I think he's just working through his issues. And when he successfully finishes the climb, it looks like he's let go of a lot of that shit. And I feel like, again, I haven't followed what he's done in the years, the couple of years since he did this climb, or the three years since he actually did it, but... I feel he's like become he's... engaged to that attractive lady. Oh, well, spoilers. He's actually married. They got married nine days ago at time of recording. Oh, what? Yeah, they got married, and now they're living together. How, how weird is that, right? That they, they bought a, He bought them a house after they'd been dating for about a year and a half. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I just think to be fair, mental. she... I think Alex... Like, no, I'm not advantage. saying she is. Like, I, if she I is, am. then then she's she's wonderful that like she's picked a great target there she uh, is. he she, she he nailed do, it she he doesn't involved. he doesn't really know how sort of relationships work or anything <laughs> like that what is this human emotion love do you think no, he's charismatic no one, said lo- no one ever told him that he was loved he says throughout his entire life his mom spoke french and said je, je t'aime je t'aime and his and his dad well, you know, his dad enjoyed traveling, apparently. His mother looks like uh, she could take a punch. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know if that's what she's going to attempt. Maybe that'll, she'll do a record for that. She, well, she has a record. She's the oldest person to, do the, uh, to climb the rock face of El Capitan. While being punched. While, while being punched, yes, while taking punches. <laughs> while taking a punch. <laughs> which, she, which she was well able to do this movie made a good chunk of money for uh, what they made it for how much did it cost and uh, not very much at all shouldn't have cost anything i mean what do you have to pay for coffee something like that yeah like to be as fair as well for all the money this fellow makes i mean nobody seems to spend any of it all they want to do is just climb things are you talking hey, the the money that alex honnold makes yeah I mean, how much do cans of chili cost? I mean, he does eventually buy a house, but he buys it in Vegas, and it looks like it's not the most expensive. I mean, it's nice, it's perfectly fine, but, like, it's just in some kind of new neighborhood in Vegas. He had the same kind of coffee thing that I have, an AeroPress machine. I thought you meant, like, drinking it directly out of a pan. He's got the same coffee thing that I have, Asperger's. (laughs) (laughs) Did you find him charismatic at all? No, I did enjoy where he starts talking about being in this bottomless pit of self-loathing. I thought that was good. I thought at least he's self-aware. Mm. Don't find him charismatic. I find him interesting. He's an interesting guy. Yeah, 
For sure. My main my main takeaway from this film was that I followed Alex Honnold, his wife, and Jimmy Chin. I followed them all on Instagram. I mean, no, no, in in real life, <laughs> to their house, <laughs> to their home. They yeah, all live I together. Followed, I followed them on the gram. Yeah, I followed them on Instagram. Is it, are they good on the gram? Fine. I mean, at least they post photos of rocks and stuff. It's nice to see the great outdoors. But let me just say, what do you think Sani McCandless, or Sani Honold, if she's taken that name, what do you think uh, her job title is, if you had to guess? How is it listed? Uh, what does she list herself as on Instagram, if you had to guess? Alex Honold's wife? <laughs> that's, would be, that's what I would list myself as. No, she's a life and transition coach. Like transition? What's a transition <laughs> like from a man to a lady? <laughs> no, I doubt it. I genuinely doubt it. I think that means transitioning from perhaps one job to another or from one, from one way of thinking to another. I didn't research what transition coach is. Man, I'm like, so I'm looking at a picture of them on their wedding day right now. Okay, yep. this will seem needlessly cruel. I mean, she's quite a, pre- <laughs> she's quite a pretty lady. She looks excited. Alex Honnold has got dead little monkey dead eyes, eye. he, and he, just he, he looks, doesn't like, he feel emotion. He's clear. like it's literally the only thinking time, about the only time I thinking about cans of chili again. Oh, he man, he just wants to go climb something. Yeah, absolutely. And she's, and she's just like, oh, I, yes, I've ch- I've got, I've bagged him, I've changed him. this man, got him. and got him. he's just he's just literally looking at the church, going, I could fucking <laughs> I could climb that. Climb I don't even bugger. need ropes. I don't need my gear. I'm wearing my gear. It's this. It's, uh, it's this. Suit. He's got. He's got big, massive ears like the BFG. He he also he's got big, massive feet. I noticed that too. I was like, I his, this this one of the other notes I made is what what species is he? Oh yeah, his feet are simian like simian simian. Yeah. Oh god, yeah, yeah. They they they're a nightmare. <laughs> Quite frankly, they're <laughs> a nightmare. Imagine that if you were at a window and you just saw this thing climbing up towards you without oh, hey. any ropes. Just Spider Manning his way up to go like anyway, it. <laughs> do you think he could? Do you think he could take a bunch? Probably. What? Certainly what is a tra- feat? A transition coach. Apparently, it's a life transition coach. But her thing is life and transition coach. I just googled transition coach, and it, it's the same old shite. It's something about transitioning from having money to then giving the money to the transition coach. Transitioning funds out <laughs> of your bank account into their bank account. You could, if you could oh. just transition a hundred grand over to me, I can help you out. It's kind of reminding me of we we have a mutual friend, Mike Rice, and on a podcast interview he did recently with his father, who's just a man who's obsessed with his land and just uh, <laughs> keep, keeping his land and his family. And he says he kept a diary for many years. And he said at one point he was in a, his mid twenties, and he remembers writing a sentence, basically saying, "I'm going to have to get a wife soon if I want to." put out kids you know on this earth or whatever and alex honnell's decision to get married seems like it might have been like just an economical decision like that so to speak you or he was like yes now is the time now is the time to prove i'm probably i'm being i'm being needlessly cruel here they might he seems okay he does it like (laughs) looking at his social media presence in the last day or so i've kind of gone like I, i mean he's probably he's probably got a social media manager why am I stupid enough to think that he's writing any of the comments? Yeah, that's true, actually. He's world he's famous got to now. Be, yeah, he's world famous. He's got to be worth... He says he was making as much as a good dentist. That's what he tells at the high school class when he goes to make a speech. 
So he must be he must be a very wealthy medical professional at this point. Do dentists make good money? In the USA, I imagine they do. Not here in the UK, where people have shite for teeth. Which... And then they <laughs> and then they take all that money and go off to Africa and shoot lions. Yeah, I only recently got my teeth fixed. It took me a long, long time. Mainly what is fixed? Of, yeah, just mainly out of being lazy. What's fixed? Well, everything. I just my 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 whole mouth. <laughs> you I, got, I got my your... mouth fixed. <laughs> got my mouth <laughs> nice. Down. It nice. was a series of punches. It was worth it, though. I didn't even realize you had a fucking problem with your teeth. Do oh, I have a problem with my job. teeth? Probably. Oh, yeah, man. You're way worse. Oh, no. Don't <laughs> tell me that. Although, I, I have gotten into electric toothbrushing. <clears throat> in oh, yeah, me years. too. But not God, on it's my a, teeth. It's a, oh, no. It's a total game changer, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, or, it really yeah. is. I mean, it's nothing... Get, nothing gets gets the dead skin off a perineum quite like an electric orbit toothbrush. That's what my old man used to say. The perineum. Nice. So that was that was free solo. Are we? So that's it. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything else I wanted to say about free solo. I don't know, but that, was, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was very moving. There is one thing like, that I wanted. To, yeah. One. Well, I was just gonna say like. When he successfully gets towards the top of the of the of the rock face, not even when he's di- like directly at the top, but just when he's making a lot of progress, I realized I was basically starting to tear up. I was tearing up when he oh, was yeah, doing yeah. when he gets past the boulder problem and he turns and looks at the camera yes. and says something like ah ah. I- I had a little fist pumping I, I was, moment. Yeah, for him. I was like, yeah, yeah, the insanity sure. of he's still fucking miles up in the air, and he's just like he realizes that he that's it's like what you were saying of is the fact that they've worked he's worked through something like he's had to do it a million times with ropes and figured it out. So mm. he's fully aware that he just got past a difficult point, and yeah, now yeah, his yeah. confidence has grown, and that's clear to the viewer. But yeah, that that's just insane to watch and. The one one other thing I would like to say to this film's uh, massive credit is, and this will certainly become more evident with the next film we're going to talk about. I don't like, I don't think an interesting story that's told through the medium of a documentary is necessarily a great documentary, and I think they often get heaped in like that. The biggest example I could think of would be a film from a few years ago, um, Searching for the Sugar Man. Which is an amazing story. About wait, wait, what was your? Were you saying that itself, searching for you know, Sugar Man? Were you saying that searching for Sugar Man is not a good documentary, but it's a good story? Or it's it's grand, like yeah, yeah. It's a it's a fascinating story, but like the Apparently documentary, also a lot of it is false, is what I heard. Yeah, fair enough. But I mean, it, and it, also my, the guy who directed that killed himself a couple of years after he after he made the film. Oh no! Yeah. Anyway, my point is uh, that that won the that won the Academy Award for mm-hmm. uh, best documentary feature. And then when I got around to watching it, I was like, "Yeah, interesting story." But I mean, I would have rather read the Atlantic article about it than watch that movie. But I think, and I, having watched enough of these rock climbing documentaries, like first of all, this is definitely the best best rock climbing documentary out there because it's not just about the amazing footage; it's about this guy and why the hell you would do it. And I think they really get that across. And that's, I suppose that's why it's kind of, it's been appropriate to not go at this from a linear standpoint, because yeah, there is a definitive end. There's not quite a beginning and a middle because it's essentially just a profile of this absolute lunatic. 
and then you get to kind of watch his, his, his triumph in real time. We haven't spoken much about that time where he chickens out, not chickens out, I suppose. Yeah, but that's one part yeah, when definitely. He, when he cowardly, <laughs> in a cowardly <laughs> manner, backs out. And all the uh, people yeah. around him are going, bah, 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 bah. <laughs> I wish they did. And calling him uh, loser. And they're all making the L's. They put in their hand, their finger, their hand in the shape of an L on their forehead. And then she just, uh, then he just runs back to the van and, um, and, and Sani's She's like, I'm there, getting out of here. Going, she wants nothing to do with him anymore. Alex, you loser. Uh, You're always going to be a loser. Yeah, I knew you were a loser the second I met you. Oh, that sounds like such a good high school um, movie <laughs> version of this whole story. Get out of the van, Honold. <laughs> yeah, and then Tommy Caldwell's a jock, <laughs> just just tearing up it. Anyway, yeah, yeah, I want to see that it. version, and I would watch it. See, but I, I understand what you're saying, and perhaps it's not a great documentary, or for what you would prefer, but. I, I like when a, a documentary has a strong narrative and maybe it, at times it's more like a narrative feature in that way. Like I feel like Jimmy Chin and his wife, the only reason mm. I'm saying his wife is because her name is too complicated for me. I know, yeah. I feel like the visual, the visual storytelling and the editing is first class. Yeah, no, 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 no. I was using the Rodriguez documentary as an unfair, favorable comparison to this. I think that this uh, like elevates itself by being about more about Honold himself than about just the amazing footage they were going to get. Right. It's not so much about what he did, but it's, yeah, I guess it delves deeper into the world of climbing, how easy it is for people to die, why Alex Honold might be doing this, how it affects his relationship, what his relationship means to him, and then mm. finally what this achievement means for the rest of his life. I think they they they've got some very nice choosy footage like like they they probably had hours of footage of his girlfriend just being cool but just to kind of emphasize what a drag she might be to him you know that sequence they show of them rock climbing together which one is that when he falls or I well no I don't think they have footage for that it's just him up ahead and she's just there going oh where does this go or something like that <laughs> <laughs> she, she just looks really silly uh, what I, I doubt oh, and well, she also kind of she also slips when she's climbing. I feel like that might be around that time. It's not one that causes any injury or anything, but there's a point where she's climbing and she slips, and it just kind of <laughs> you feel like Alex is shaking his head, going, "Jesus fucking Christ!" <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I yeah, feel like there's large chunks the of the move. He's like, "Oh my god!" Really? And also, yeah. when they move in, <laughs> when they move into the house together, she's got the measuring tape out and she's measuring everything to like to buy a fridge and all that. And he's just standing around bitching the entire time. And he oh, refuses yeah. to help. And the fridge hilarious. that they buy. The fridge that they buy. What the hell is with that? Like, they get the worst fridge. They buy the shittest fridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't get but that. But he doesn't want to spend any money, which is fair enough. He's saving it. Yurt. All right. So, how did Free you... Solo. Uh, uh, how, free solo. See it uh, soon on uh, <laughs> coming soon, indeed. And on Disney Plus, folks. Climb anything. Climb a building. Yes. Do what you have to do. So, uh, from one obsessive to another, what did you yeah. make of Little, Little yeah. Dieter? The other film that we watched was 1997's Little Dieter. Need, Little Dieter needs to fly by Werner Herzog. So, this is a documentary detailing the life of Dieter Dengler, who was 
although he was German, he was a Navy pilot in the American Navy. And he was shot down over Laos in the 1960s and then spent six months in captivity before escaping and returning to the USA. That's a, an extremely brief synopsis. Again, this film is quite a tough one, not for the, exactly the same reasons as uh, Free Solo, but in this case, we do have a clear chronology of the events, but the film's not told in a chronological order. No. So maybe, maybe we could just deal with the information as it surfaces in the film. Okay, so... Yeah. Uh, who where do we where do we enter into this story? I mean, Herzog introduces Dieter Dengler in uh, a tattoo shop. And, That's right. Uh, yes. Yeah. He's he's he looks like he's going to have a tattoo done, but then he kind of rejects the guy, and the tattoo seems to be some kind of scene of horses or angels. Sorry, there's a it's a really surreal scene uh, or a really surreal tattoo that kind of sets the scene that. Dieter is, let's say, has a couple of mental issues relating to what may have happened to him earlier in his life. Mm. But the reaction to the tattoo and to the to the tattoo artist is kind of uh, you have a general what the fuck feeling of uh, this is not this is not going to be good. Whatever happened to little Dieter, it's not going to be nice. I mean, I just say like um, so I. I... Have you have you watched much of Werner Herzog in particular? I suppose I mean his documentaries. No, I think that I was looking through his filmography the other day, and shockingly, I think the only other film I've seen is Grizzly Man. I haven't seen, and I he's made a million films. Yeah, yeah, he's made far too many, you could say. But the beginning, the only the only fiction films of his I've seen, I've only seen Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans. Okay, I mean, well, there's some good entry points for us. So at some point later in uh, this podcast, mm-hmm. yeah. I might force, force you to watch Fitzcarraldo. Yeah, but, that's, uh, a, that's a name that's familiar to, to me, but I haven't watched but it. But, like, as far as his documentaries go, like, if you like Little Dieter Needs to Fly, the way it's shot and put together, even from moment one, is just completely emblematic of the way Herzog makes documentaries, which, for me, I love them. I love uh, the way he makes documentaries and I love the way Dieter's story is told just kind of Herzog is apparently quite proud of the fact that he's never used storyboards and you can just kind of see that he's got a a good a good eye towards wandering the camera wherever it'll fit and uh, make it make it nice you know. Let me go back to the chronology a little bit at least of the film there. Yes. The film is split into four sections. So we've got section one is the man, two, his dream, three, punishment, and four, redemption. So in the first section, we're kind of introduced to Dieter Dengler in the 90s. What must I mean? The film came out in 97, so it was a little bit before that. But I enjoyed this part because he has the highest waistline I've maybe ever seen. (laughs) His his (laughs) jeans are almost up to his armpits. And he's got yeah. quality slick back hair, although he's going bald. Mm. And when I saw that, I thought, yeah, I'm definitely going to do that. If I get that far, I'm going to be doing that. I'm going to raise super high. Yeah, they're, get, they're going high. I want nipple or higher. And I'm slicking if I'm going to grow hair at the back and none at the front, 100%. Nice. That's, yes. a hero. That's a hero's haircut. Dude, get a good accent as well. 
Yes. Yeah. yeah, so I enjoy uh Dieter Dengler's accent. Still. He's got he does all this like whenever there's an S and a T together, it's shh stop. So Herzog takes this fella on a journey, essentially. Yeah, so I mean the other so the other parts of when we're introduced to to Dieter in the man section of the film. It gives you a, a small insight into his way of thinking. So in the 90s, it, it shows the Dieter in his kitchen. He basically, his kitchen is absolutely massively stocked with food, uh, including he has massive stores of food under his kitchen floor. So he lifts yeah, up some rice, floorboards. Flour, He's got like sugar. kilos and kilos of rice. And so you get, you're starting to get the image again after the tattoo shop and this, you're thinking like, well, this guy... He does have an amazing waistline, but he <laughs> might not be all there. That house looks incredible as well, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I don't... How much do you know about his life? I'm guessing... Okay, so Werner, Her- Werner Herzog also made a narrative film called Rescue Dawn, which is based on that. And I'm guessing you have seen yeah. Rescue Dawn. Yes. How much do you know about Dieter Dengler's life outside of his... His story. Yeah, his story. Absolutely nothing. Have you got some things to tell me? Well, after, so he left the Navy and then he started working as a test pilot and he was working for TWA towards the end of his career. Mm-hmm. But I just basically like, he, that's why he could afford that house was after he left the army, he got a pretty good series of jobs, it seems like. And so, yeah, he was just, he was working as a pilot for years and years, commercial test pilot. Oh, Okay. So that's why he was able to afford a very nice house by 1996. Uh, yes, but all, like I mean, also like not just does the house look nice; it's just it's really kitted out. It's charismatic. Uh, he's got loads of planes everywhere and stuff. I mean, he was flying all the way throughout his life. Like, I mean, he was basically flying all the time. Oh yeah, yeah, no, they mention they mention it in the because little D- Dieter needed little Dieter to, fly. Needs to fly. Uh, and little Dieter got to fly. Um, you so yeah. You also at this part of the film, you also see him in 1966 giving a press conference, and he's a mm. he's a very handsome young man. He was, and this he's is a very the first handsome young man. That press conference is the first time. Well, for me anyway, I kind of like kind of got the how would I say it the subtext of why Herzog is interested in this guy at all, and it's the same with Grizzly Man or even with uh, Encounters at the End of the World. Timothy Chadwell. Yeah, yeah. Dieter um, has an interesting story to tell, but above all, he's a showman. But I was... My takeaway from this, to listening to this guy giving the interview in 1966, he's being interviewed. We we have some of the details at this point. He was shot down Mm. over Laos, and he was held captive in a communist prisoner of war camp. He was horribly tortured and then escaped. Mm. And he's answering a couple of questions about it. And then uh, we cut to 96 or whenever, and he's explaining that like his, he saw his father, his dead father told him which way to run so yes. that he would escape the people who were chasing after him. Mm. But my, my takeaway from this was in 1966 and in, let's say, 1996, he has this weird manic quickfire way of explaining where he gives far too many details. He gives yes. overly detailed explanations of things to to a level that made me wonder if even I mean it, it, by the first interview in 96 he's already been through his uh ordeal. 
I just wondered if all of that personality, if that personality was came from the war, the prisoner of war camp experience, or if he was always like that. I would be interested in seeing an interview with him prior to that. Um, I'd say you could. There's plenty of of plenty. I, I I'm going to try and speak slower now until I actually remember some of the references I've heard to this kind of thing before. But there, I, I there. It, has been evidence of people inventing a personality to kind of uh, um, bury a trauma somewhat, um, mm. and Dieter definitely. But gives his off he, and also okay, that. so his um, trauma. So, his, so his, does so does so does so does Timothy Treadwell in in Grizzly Man. Yeah, very much so. But I guess Werner Hurt, like you said, Werner Herzog is attracted to these type of people. Just odd people, yeah. Yeah, weirdos. So. In the next section of the film, which is titled His Dream, it explains that he's from a town called Wildberg in the Black Forest in Germany, but he emigrated to the USA. And he explains by himself. As a child, pretty much. Yeah, he was like 18 or whatever when he he had no money and he, he was extremely poor. He grew up extremely poor, but. He explains why he wanted to become a pilot in the first place. And it's because during mm. the Second World War, his his village was bombed. And he was at the window with his brother. And he saw this uh, fighter plane, I mean, allied fighter plane, swoop down and almost swipe its wing into the corner of his house. And his first reaction was, I want to be a pilot. Yep. But even that immediate, my immediate takeaway from that was like that's like that's like child abuse. That's like someone becoming an abuser. See, <laughs> like, I don't. You see, you see a plane almost like basically kill your entire town and neighborhood, and your takeaway is like I I'd like a bit of that. I mean, I know he was a child, but still. Yeah, exactly. He was a child. Like that's that's the thing. It's like uh, have you ever seen um, have you ever seen the John Borman film uh, Hope and Glory? No. I mean, it's basically, it's the Blitz told from a child perspective, and there's this wonderful scene in it that's based on a, re- a real thing that happened, where um, they arrived at the school one day, and um, it had been completely just destroyed by the Blitz, and all the children started looking up to the sky and going, oh, thank you, Adolf, thank you, Adolf, like that. Uh, and Borman tells this <laughs> story fondly, but like it's, it features in the film. But my point is, is I'm like... Uh, I, I'm just like once, like when you're a child, and if you're a child in Germany in World War Two, get like basically certainly from 1941 on, being bombed occasionally is just a reality in your life. You you probably you don't know really good from bad. This is just the way the fucking world is, and you're looking out a window and you see a plane swoop down, almost hit it like hit your house, and you know just do like that. You're gonna yeah, maybe 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 I'm being too maybe I'm being too hard on him, but I just feel like his parents should have said, "Plane's bad, plane <laughs> kill town, Wilmberg yeah. go bye bye, plane but bad." He says no, no, and then he dresses up like a Boy Scout, does his leaving certificate examination, and is seemingly on a boat to, to, to America Markov. five five seconds later. Yeah, so. It cuts back to 1996, and he's showing us around his house, and he's explaining kind of how important he is. Not in a showing-off way, but he shows us that he has a sword blessed by the Pope, and the only other one in existence belonged to J. Edgar Hoover. So he's just showing off all this stuff, which kind of 
shows you like, whoa, this guy, he was kind of a big deal at the time. And then Werner Herzog asks him, like, how does it feel to be a hero? And he, oh, says, yeah. he says, only dead people are heroes. Yeah. Which uh, seems quite noble. And that's how you get a blessed sword, I think. By just being that noble. That yeah. damn noble. Um, Sucking his up story from him being on the ferry, on the uh, stealing all the food, was a funny little anecdote. I enjoyed that. So when he he's he's on the boat, which obviously, yeah, it seems to have it takes two weeks. Two weeks, yeah, it's like a two week journey from Germany to the U.S. to New and York he, to Ellis Island. He was collecting uploads of food in his room, so he'd have stuff to eat. It seems when he get got to Ellis Island, and then. Uh, he bundled all these sandwiches and apples and stuff that he had stolen into his shirt, got into Ellis Island. The cop made him open up his shirt and all the sandwiches and apples went all over the floor. How embarrassing, Dieter Dengler. And he was essentially homeless for a period of time. So he was, he explains that when he arrived in New York, he was homeless for like two weeks. And then he joined the U.S. Air Force. That's just, that's just mad to me that they just let a homeless German... Mm. It is mad, actually, yeah, yeah. A homeless German, how many years after the Second World War? About 10 or so years? It must have been in the 50s. It must have been in, like, the mid-50s. And they just let a homeless German join the, Ar- join the Air Force. Seems I guess to be they the were case. desperate. Imagine how hard it would be. They can't, they can't. Surely they're not employing homeless Germans anymore, are they? In the American military? Who knows? <laughs> well, I mean, if you've got a the right German stuff. homeless German would be high level now. I mean, that... The, be struggling to bring those guys in if you've got the right stuff is, is that is that a joke is that a pun or is that a reference to no i right didn't stuff? even think okay. of that when i was i thought I, I must get her i must watch that again soon do you know what i haven't seen it <laughs> good god I, feel like Andy. I, I i you listen I, i've seen the entire mcu so yeah that's fair I've seen a I, lot of I films still i have not quite managed to see starring robert Ant-Man, downey jr ant-man and the wasp I haven't seen Ant-Man of the Wasp, so... <laughs> oh, how could you? You wasted your time watching Werner Herzog documentaries. I probably should You missed on out on, on peak Paul Rudd. Yeah, yeah. Into yeah, the third but... section of the film, mm-hmm. which is called Punishment. Oh, no. Yeah. And this so... Is, this is surely where Josh Oppenheimer got his idea for... Uh, yeah. Oppenheimer uh, got his idea for the act of killing. It is very similar. So Dieter Dengler and Werner Herzog travel to, I assume, definitely Laos, um, Thailand. I'm guessing maybe Vietnam as well, but it seems to be Laos where they're doing this. They've hired a bunch of local guys who look fairly dodgy. They look like they, they might do, be criminals. Yeah. They look kind of gangsterish, But then they just throw Dieter Dengler in to kind of manhandle them from time to time or... He's he's kind of like ruffling their hair. <laughs> he puts one in a chokehold. Yeah, and he, they all I, seem to I, have guns. Yeah, they've got guns. And I'm just watching it going like, I mean, I get that they're just hired extras, but who the fuck are these guys? They just picked <laughs> up like these random gangster guys, local gangsters. Oh, and God. throwing them maybe, into bizarre situations. Yeah, imagine, imagine like... A... If Apocalypse Now ended differently and Colonel Kurtz managed to make it out of there and years later he was taking Werner Herzog on a tour of the jungle <laughs> and just having a laugh in his... And, and, uh, and up around here we used to hang GI troopers on yeah. crucifixes. And, and, this uh, is, yeah. and this is where we had all the little... A pile of inoculated baby arms. 
uh, and we used to uh, keep um, local women in cages for for uh, sleeping with uh, the Viet Cong. I wish I could do Marlon Brando, but and I just, can't. it was very nice. Uh, I saw I Slug. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's yeah, there better. we go. Yeah, that's that'll do. So he tells the story. He's uh, uh, Dieter Dieter Dengler starts explaining some of the torture that he was subjected to. He's explaining that alongside these local extras and explaining to Herzog some of the things that happened. Did you have a favorite torture? Because I did. Oh, go on. Was it I, the tourniquet? The tourniquet was good. So that was basically cutting off the circulation in his, in his hand slash arm. Was it his whole arm? Was it at his elbow? Yeah, yeah, from below the elbow. Uh, and basically cut off circulation in his arm, and he couldn't use his arm for six months. That's a classic, but I enjoyed bamboo under the fingernails. The part of it that seemed the most unpleasant to me was just being tied to people sitting up all yeah. night, pooping yourself. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's just, it just reminds me too much of, you know, my uncle's house. Mm, I can see that. Mm. Yeah, that's, I, did, that I, w- I, I, I remember the last time i tried to sleep on a sleep on an overnight coach and that was torture to me i'd say it's pretty much the same thing it's fairly similar like yeah. megabus or something overnight edinburgh to oh, London. jesus you poor sod are you that's, all right you know that's a long time that's a long time but i feel like i have done an overnight coach in the last five years let's say i did one to madrid it was rough it was the last was the last one i did so it, wa- it wasn't even overnight so much as i left at night and arrived at night, but just about. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not that long, but still. Okay, so the next, uh, in the next little section, Dieter Dengler is explaining that during or uh, prior to the Second World War, everyone in his little town of Wildberg voted for Hitler, except for his grandfather. Except his grandfather, yeah. And then, they were all uh, Nazis, except for my, except for my granddad. And then Terence Malick made a film about him. About this guy? No, Terence, Philip, Terence Malick's last film was of the, oh, like, basically the only recorded conscientious objector to, like, he basically wouldn't swear loyalty to Hitler. Uh, mm. I doubt it's, I'm just making a reference to this film, A Hidden Life. I haven't seen it yet, but Me it's neither. about a, a, fella, a fella who refused to swear loyalty to Hitler. Remember, remember when Terence Malick used to make a film every 20 years? Or ten or fifteen years, and they were good. And then yes. after after Tree of Life, he just went mad. We well, see. I haven't seen any of the ones after Tree of no, Life. No, me neither. But I hear they're shit. I but like here's the thing. When I first saw Tree of Life in the cinema, I really really hated it. Then um, I saw it a few years later, and I really really loved it. So now I'm th- like I might give to the Wonder a go at some point. But mm. anyway. Forget all well, that, because yes. a tree of life is yeah, it's like it's a historical film, and that's where he he thrives most, in my view. Well, I uh, I only recently, again during lockdown, I watched the New World. Oh, that's a terrific film. Yeah, I really enjoyed it with full Colin Farrell. Uh, yeah, so yeah, that's, that's a that's, nice one. That, that's an absolutely terrific film. Um, also, if you if you, uh, a good little tidbit, one of the better anecdotes I've ever heard about a movie is. Oh, uh, what's his face? Michael Gambon giving out about being cut from it. What? Yeah, no, not Michael Gambon. Sorry, Christopher Plummer. Christopher Plummer giving out about being cut completely from. Well, not cut completely, but like his large part mostly cut down out of New World and being kind of pissed off about it. Who was he in that again? Because I do recall seeing his face, but now I can't think who he was. 
he was kind of like was he uh, one of the, oh he was like the captain of the boat that went over yes with he was Farrell. yes he yeah, was yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah 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 that's exactly right anyway getting back so, to well, Dieter Dengler yeah, wanting to fly next moving on Herzog is basically ripping the piss out of this u.s military jungle survival film he shows clips of this 1967 oh, yeah. military film and it's just the most kind of like passive aggressive sarcastic piss-taking uh my fa- voiceover my, my favorite part of it is when he's uh, it shows the, the guy frantically waving with the white flag and yeah uh, he, he asks and why is he waving the white flag when the, the helicopter, helicopter is right above him <laughs> Yeah, funny. <laughs> That's so silly. Yeah, and then we get more of like Dieter Dieter Dengler again, basically being Skinner from The Simpsons, <laughs> going through his whole like you know, <laughs> I was tortured here, and I kind of like it. I'd kind of like to. He's he's going through the motions a little bit of like he's trying to exercise some of his demons by running through the the jungle. Oh yeah, but he doesn't like that. Then he says, With "This some is of a these little local actors. Uh, too close to home, or something." Yeah, he nope. freaks out a bit. Then he tells the finger story. What's the finger story again? He was transferred, so he was captured in in Laos, and then the Laotians had him for a couple of weeks, and then they moved him to North Vietnam. So he was then with the Viet Cong. When the Viet Cong oh, had yeah, him, oh yeah, this is a great yeah, story. So when the Viet Cong had him, they moved him to one of their local villages, and a villager saw that Dangler was wearing a wearing a nice ring and Engagement tried to ring, take yeah. it off him. Yeah, tried to take his ring off him. That's right, he was engaged, and this guy from the village tried to take Dangler's ring off him, and Dangler refused, and they had a bit of a tug of war. The guy went away, came back with a machete. And threatened to cut off Dangler's finger, so Dieter gives him the ring. The guy goes away, and then Dangler gets taken away by some of the the North Vietnamese uh, troops. He's explaining to them, like, ah, someone nicked my ring. And after a while, they understand what he's saying, so they march back to the town. And then immediately, they grab the guy. I think he was a cook. I think he was a chef. Mm Mm-hmm. I have to be careful with pronunciation there. I think he's a chef, and uh, he's <laughs> the guy who stole the ring. So um, they they took him and just immediately took out another machete and sliced this guy's finger off. What uh, absolute took, geez, took the like... ring, took the ring off the finger, and just threw the ring. Like gave gave Dangler his ring back. And that's when I knew uh, don't mess yeah, don't, don't mess with the Viet Cong. Yeah, I thought this is an awesome story, actually. And then anyway, so we get taken, we get talked through his yeah her series of horrific uh, times in um, this POW camp where he meets meets Amer- other Americans and he makes some mates, including one of whom will be his other good mate. Um, yeah, so he what's that, the fella's name? It's that's kind of annoying the way that that's brought up in the film. He mentions that one of the guys he escaped with for a period of time was this guy called Dwayne Martin. Mm. And he keeps going, Dwayne Martin. It was just me and this Dwayne Martin. Dwayne Martin. But they don't explain at any point who the guy was. You get an idea that he was US military. Mm. Which he was. I looked him up. He's on uh, Wikipedia. But uh, Dengler, at least halfway through the film, explains that Dwayne Martin had his head chopped off. Yes. 
and then, then we get to on, hear he later how, how it happened. Yeah, because they were most of the way they'd escaped most of the way. They were pretty close to the Thai border at this point, I think. Yeah, and, and then they just, uh, but they were yeah, just, they, they, they were they, so they, weak they were crawling. Yeah, and they found some, they came to a village and some local kids found them. And then the kids ran away and brought back some of the vill villagers. One villager had a machete, which seems quite typical for the period. Seems to be a lot of machete play going on. Um, Including fire So building. yeah, the guy whipped his machete out. Uh, Dwayne Martin was down on his knees in a sort of begging or like praying uh, pose and the guy like slammed the machete down on Dwayne Martin's leg and then so Martin put his hands down to kind of cover the wound and then the guy swung the machete down and chopped off Dwayne Martin's head. Dwayne Martin no more. And that, and that was the end of old Dwayne Martin. And but Dwayne Martin was uh, played by Steve Zahn in the film Rescue Dawn apparently. Yes that's right. Actually the, es the escape sequence in, in, Re I, I, in Rescue Dawn I presume this is just because yeah Herzog spent so much time with Dieter and I presume Dieter Dengler would have consulted on the film, but the escape sequence from the film is exactly <clears> as, <throat> as, de as described. Well, D Dieter Dengler would have consulted on the film. I, he certainly gave, I know he explained a lot of the situation to Herzog or he'd gone through a lot of it, but by the time Rescue Dawn came around and which was in the, at the end, the postscript of the film I watched, Dieter Dengler was dead. Dieter Dengler died. Oh, so, well, there's another Werner Herzog film you've seen. Why, what's that? The you've postscript. Seen Rescue Dawn. No, I haven't seen Rescue Dawn. Oh, so what are you talking about? <clears throat> I'm saying, you were saying that uh, Dieter Dengler could have consulted and Rescue Dawn, but I'm saying mm. he died in 2001 and Rescue Dawn came out in 2006. Ah, he died in 2001. Was, was that not... <clears throat> so, in the version of this film that I watched... Mm -hmm. which was obtained in perfectly legal means, in the most legal of means. I, it was broadcast directly into my brain from space. After the end credits, there was a postscript, and it was Dieter Dengler's funeral. Spoilers for Dieter Dengler's life here. Mm -hmm. Was that in the version that you watched? No. No, because the film came out in 1997, and Dieter yeah. Dengler died in 2001. So yeah, he would... <clears throat> the version I watched, uh, you're just we, you just get that lovely African music where where he's what yeah the kind of throat singing or burning yeah. hundred percent. Actually, that's, that's one thing at the end I, of the episode. Yeah, so look that, forward to that. I do, please. Uh, that's one thing I had taken a note to make mention of. I thought the music was terrific in this. That's it, basically. Pretty much. So anyway, D to D at the end of the version of the film I saw, which again was 100% legal, D to, they showed Dieter Dengler's funeral. He was given a full uh, military honors funeral, which was probably the most disturbing part of the film because they do the whole thing where they fold the flag like they're going to eat it, like they're making <laughs> some kind of cake. And then they, give the f they gave the flag to his widow, who was his third wife, which again, none of that is dealt with in the film. He was married to a lady called Marina Adamich from 1966 to 1970. Then someone called Irene Lamb from 1980 to 84. Which I... And then his widow was called Yukiko, so she was Japanese. Which I suppose would go to show that, would go to further the idea that 
this is the original version of the idea that Joshua Oppenheimer used for <clears throat> um, the the act of killing. Just because this isn't entirely about Dieter Dengler, I suppose it's try. He's getting to work out a few of yeah his his memories because actually one of the right after we go through his it's a, a, some kind of a recreation of his escape out in the jungle and then he talks about it down by that riverbank and then we get to watch him have Thanksgiving with the guy who rescued him. Mm. And uh, he's more emotional in that scene, I think, I feel like, than in any other scene of it. Because, like, yeah, he is a sh- sort of a showman, pretty much, but then kind of coming face-to-face with the guy who rescued him and got him out of there seems to shake him up a little bit. And Herzog does quite make quite a few references in the in the film, just wondering how the hell Dieter Dingler could ever could just be living and breathing, with, given what he's gone through. Well, I'm guessing you don't know about his death either. No, I don't. Okay, go so, on. So this is uh, from his Wikipedia. Dengler was diagnosed with ALS, an incurable neurological neurological disorder. On February 7th, 2001, he rolled his wheelchair from his house down to the driveway of a fire station and shot himself. Jesus Christ. He's a hard man. He was a hard man. My God. Yep. He wasn't messing around. I mean, yeah, that's... Jesus, that... Uh, <clears throat> I, I, I feel like that postscript you saw... And, yeah, it changes the film a lot. Yeah, totally. And that information changes Because it was only film. like a few years after. This is only a few years later than when he must have shot those scenes with Herzog. Yeah. And then like he five just rolled down the street most. and shot himself. Jesus yep. Christ. That really adds some pathos to the whole viewing experience. Mm-hmm. And then Herzog made Rescue Dawn. Or maybe like five years after as that. Kind of a tribute. So I imagine that he felt there was just... Because my takeaway from the film from Little Dieter Needs to Fly as a film mm. is that it's oral storytelling. That It's not the most visual of films. I mean, okay, no. they went... They took... Dengler back to Laos or Thailand or wherever. Or but that's there. more to but animate him, him to in a certain yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To get him into the mindset so that he can tell a story. But it's still him telling a story. And for sections where he was describing in his weird, over-descriptive way, talking about every single thing that happened, I kind of tuned out a little bit. And I realized I would rather either see real footage or some kind of animation reenactment or whatever i'd much rather that than be told the story orally in a film hmm. i like I, I think it depends on the film and in the case Probably. of in the case of this one i wouldn't be in that camp like i i just enjoy kind of watching him um he's just he's just a <clears throat> i'm in camp dita he's just a big weird crazy fella he is a big weird crazy fella that is accurate like you can like you know the part where um he kind of gives one of his would be prison guards a, a little hug and says it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. The Viet Cong have gone now. That feels like weirdly condescending. <laughs> Cuz who is that guy? Is he even Vietnamese? Who knows? I mean, maybe they're all just like from San Francisco. And and, and does the guy even speak English? <laughs> it just feels weird. 
Herzog does a thing um, in his documentaries whenever he's uh, uh, filming indigenous people or even just poor people where he just seems to get them to all stand perfectly still and stare at the camera. And mm. just, yeah, it yeah it's really creepy. It always reminds me of like cattle or something. If you ever encounter like a large group of cattle, they'll all just fucking stare <laughs> Tattoo, at you. Cattle covered in gang tattoos. Shit like that, yeah. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Um, well, like, did it pique your interest enough to make you watch more uh, Herzog documentaries? Yeah, I feel like that's just one of those things I've missed out on. I was always planning to watch more Werner Herzog films, but... I do have a monstrous backlog of films, hence why I like doing this podcast. Which we'll get, we'll get to. We'll get to them all Indeed, eventually. There's plenty of time. Do you, I, I do you think this work? Go on. I, uh, I, I was watching a, a YouTube video earlier today of uh, Dieter Dengler on an American TV show called I've Got a Secret, like a kind of game show where there's a panel of people who have to guess his secret. And his secret is, I escaped from a communist prison camp. But it was funny. It was really funny reading some of the comments on the YouTube Good video. God. Some of the comments on the YouTube video are like, men are asking him questions and he's saying, yes, sir. No, sir. And then a woman asks him a question and he goes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> and what, did, did people have an issue with that? Yeah, uh, people are commenting on that. I Going... This is disgraceful. Just, just, just leave the man alone. But it's so funny because when they explain his, they show, they flash up on the screen. You know, Dieter Dengler escaped from a communist prison camp, a prisoner of war camp, and the entire audience is going mad. They're just going like, "Oh my god, he got away from the communists. Yeah, he would be. Commun- I mean, Nazis again. It's a good thing he didn't. Like, I mean, Trump would have definitely dissed him. Yeah. Trump has he no was a respect. German. This guy's a German. This guy's a loser. Germans, they lost. Oh no, uh, Germans. Oh no, I, I, this Trump. This uh, podcast was doing well for not having had a a Trump impression attempted, and there I. Who just, did that? Uh, I wasn't. Oh, did you? T- I never heard that. Oh no, then it didn't happen. Good. It it, it genuine. Do you think these two work as a double bill? <sighs> Well, they're both documentaries. I think they show different approaches to their subjects, to documentary making. But they both definitely show people working through personal trauma in some Mm. way. I think no matter what you think of Alex Honnold, you have to agree that there's an element of him working through some kind of childhood trauma for the reason of why he chose to do so much free soloing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can see that, and you can definitely you you if from nothing else, you can get that buzz from the the closing moments of the film. When yeah, he's just deciding. When he's like, I think I don't need to do this anymore. And I married this lady and never yep. did anything again. And got a fridge. And, uh, but now you've just revealed to me that Dieter Dengler never really found peace. <laughs> well, he had ALS. To be fair. Mm. Yeah, yeah, but at the same time... Maybe well, he I did su- have peace when he went home, but then just a few years and, later, unfortunately, he had a and it, the, terrible just disease. The, the addition of the ALS and then followed up by the suicide gives it that the extra... Especially pa- how he the, rolled himself it, down to the yeah, driveway yeah. of a fire station and shot himself. Well, and that also just gives a extra sort of sadness to the title. Little Dieter Needs to Fly. Yeah. And then he's, yeah, once he gets a degenerative disease, he's like, well, no, fuck that. He's flying now. Yeah. 
Um, Soaring. Out of these two films, I, I did enjoy Little Dieter more. Oh, I, I would go free solo all the way. Fair enough. I just like for me, just even the second it uh, Little Dieter started out and they're going into the, that tattoo parlor, I'm just like, uh, Herzog on form just fascinates me. Yeah, just, I, I, I feel that you, I got the sense that you would enjoy that and uh, that you do enjoy that. Well, you'd seen, had you seen this before or not? No, no, I hadn't seen this ah, before. Oh, okay. But um, you'd watched Rescue Dawn. Yes, I had watched Rescue mm-hmm. Dawn. Her, uh, like I've seen most of Herzog's fictional films, I'd say, uh, before a few years ago anyway. Um, and his fictional storytelling, or even, what's what's the word I'm searching for? Uh, I don't know, stylized fiction or nonfiction, whatever. You know, narrative storytelling, that's what I mean right. to say. It can be hit or miss, but I, I love the way he makes documentaries. I don't like... Um, he almost puts himself into the films. Yes, which character. is I, we, which which I like. Like I, I and there's I, and I don't think they completely don't do that in Free Solo. But like the opposite of that kind of thing is you know that fellow very successful documentarian. Alex I know exactly. Gibney? Oh Alec, yeah, okay. Alex Gibney. Uh, He's the one and, who made the Scientology one, right? Yes, yes. And the, my issue with the Scientology one is it seems to have been made from a start to finish position of just judgment like i'm going to just give you my opinion and i'm gonna and it might be right but at the same time he doesn't really seem interested in scientology so much as yeah just interesting and in, in like just smearing it with shit which in itself isn't an interesting I must be tempting thing. it's kind of when you get down to it and it, i mean yeah and like it was it's interesting to watch it but much more like so interesting have you seen louis theroux's document uh, my scientology movie yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i much like I, I much prefer an approach like that and i think all of herzog's approach in documentary filmmaking are like that i think he just like yeah he wants to get involved in it yeah i i think the most honest thing he can do is actually place himself as a character in the documentary instead of editing reality uh, like and arranging it in such a way to suit his viewpoint he'll just go in there and shape his viewpoint as he's making it that's what i quite like i really mm-hmm. enjoyed that and it's for that reason honestly grizzly man is one of my favorite films ever i find that i i, I find that film amazing i really enjoyed grizzly man when i watched it a few years ago but i would quite like to listen to the or listen to the audio of timothy treadwell being eaten <laughs> <laughs> I just God. think that's. I really didn't care for Timothy Treadwell. Uh, well, I mean, it's it's a DVD extra, as far as I know. Is it really? That's fuck no. Because <laughs> he said, <laughs> but but nowadays that's mild compared to what's available out there. Uh, yeah, Is it wrong that... to want to hear Timothy Treadwell eaten? Apparently, it's in a bank vault. Yes. Well, let's plan a heist. That'd be fun. So, what do you got on the cards for next week, Ombre? Well, my film choice for next week is a little film called The Girl with All the Gifts, which is a 2016 British post-apocalyptic science fiction horror film. It's about uh, a fungal infection that's wiped out most of humanity, but there is one girl who has a special gift of immunity and... My reason for wanting to watch this was I played the Last of Us, the first Last of Us game at some point during lockdown. I still haven't Rick played the sec- I still haven't played the second one, but at that point I realized 
or someone somewhere i think i'd read on reddit that there was a film that had essentially the same plot so i wanted to check it out hence the girl with all the gifts well i've heard it's really really great and mm. it's got patty patty considine, patty so. considine. uh yeah and glenn, and glenn close off of that tv show you enjoy the shield and 101 Dalmatians, the live action mm, version that with, that you enjoy. With, with Jeff Daniels. And uh, okay, so what I'll bring to the table is uh, the 1953 French-Italian thriller directed by Henry Georges Clouseau, The Wages of Fear. God, I hope I win. <laughs> I really hope I fucking win this week. No, I'm not. just kidding. I'm just kidding, but like, I have always planned to watch Wages of Fear. I mean, I knew it was a responsibility of something that I would eventually have to do. Well, I mean, look, Andy. It's only it's only three years before the killing, so I can accept that the 1950s had some great films. And also, like, look, The Girl with All the Gifts is about a child with superpowers and there's zombies in Paddy Constantine. You're going to yeah. watch it sooner or later. You, that's, that's fair. That'll I find be forced you. to watch something. Yeah, it does feel like it's ham. You, you, you should be. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you should be forced to watch lately. something that 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 is is not on your buffet menu, basically. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Even though I, I I I have I'd like I I do quite want to watch Girl Without the Gifts as well. All right. Um, I don't have a coin. Do you? I fucking don't. You know. Um, I can get one. One second. Do I'm just. All right, shit. I'm worried that this is going to cause problems because I have to get out of bed for this. <laughs> yeah. Fucking minger doing Uh-oh. a podcast shit. in bed. One second. Okay, I'm back. All right, you got a coin? Yep. So this is a 50 cent euro coin. Would you like to be 50 or some kind of building 50 or building i'll take 50 and the answer is 50 fuck yes wages of fear (laughs) is on fucker uh all right what have you got in response to wages of fear you you have you've got to you've got to guess what i'm gonna go for i kind of have to i have no choice because i haven't seen it are you it gonna has, go so- sorcerer? It has to be. It has to be, and I know you've seen it, but you you very recently you watched it. Well, that's fine then. I'm sure you can recall it. Yeah, yeah, I can. I actually, yeah, I wrote a big thing about it and everything. Yeah, so All right, you'll be fine. You'll be fine with that. I will be. But I, I, will I be. haven't watched. I haven't watched Sorcerer, so that means we're gonna watch Wages of Fear and then the 1977 William Friedkin remake Sorcerer, or I'm going to watch those two films at least. And then at roughly this time next week, this podcast is going to explode from masculinity and sweat, sweaty masculinity. Yeah, let's drive some trucks of full of nitroglycerin or whatever it is to the tune of Jungle Road. To the tune of Tangerine Dream, who were soundtracking a bunch of movies back then. All right, I'm excited to freak this up. Oh, me too, to be honest. Yeah, this is fucking awesome. Yes. <laughs> it had to be. It had to be done. I looked at the list of other possibilities and I realized, like, you know, are there were there other films? Because Wages of Fear is French and was made in France, even though it was supposed to be standing in for Central America or South America yeah, yeah, somewhere. Yeah. 
I'm going to be honest with you, like, knowing me, I'm probably going to watch Sorcerer again anyway. <laughs> Fuck it. Yeah, because I'll, I'll just be, I'll, I'll give myself the excuse of being completist and act but like it's, it's some obligation so in my life. You've, but I, you've only seen Sorcerer, so you've already watched, so we're going to have different takes because you've watched Sorcerer first. I'm going to be watching, I'm going to watch Wages of Fear first before Sorcerer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll, uh, I, I, do, I, I have a recollection of seeing uh, Wages of Fear years ago as a kid on wow. TV. And uh, then when I'm, I was reading about, like I was reading some film book uh, years later, and just the, just, the, just a vague description of what features in Wages of Fear made me just remember it, it exactly. So, like, I mean, it did leave an impression on me. I remember none of the details, just the sweaty black and white lads trying to de- deliver. That's what we're talking all... about, the color of the film there, I think. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, that's exactly right. It's a very sweaty film, though. But I, I was, honestly, Sorcerer is sweatier. Um, I'll tell you this as well. Like I went to see Sorcerer very recently at a revival cinema in Barcelona. Oh, it's in the cinema. Fucking hell. Yeah, and uh, I, we could even save this for next week. But let me just say this: yeah. that the people who are queuing up to see Sorcerer in the middle of the day on a Sunday, uh, you don't want to see that bunch of people. And I didn't like to figure myself as one of them, but there I was. Well, I guess they're all off-duty truck drivers. Something like that, yeah, just truck fans. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care about the cargo, I'm in it for the truck. <laughs> oh, God. All right, I guess that'll uh, sign us off. Uh, yes. We should really get some music. Are you going to uh, exit on the throat singing? Yeah, it's got to be. Outstanding. It all looked strange, like a distant barbaric dream. 